You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. My name is CJ Wolf, and I'm with Healthicity, our sponsor for this podcast, uh, and we talk about compliance issues in healthcare. Today's guest is Stephanie Perry. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you. We're going to talk a little bit today about um, revenue cycle and coding with a focus mostly on the uh, facility side, outpatient facility and those sorts of things. But before we jump into our topic, Stephanie, we always love to uh, have our guests just tell us a little bit about themselves, you know, what got you into the line of work you're doing or whatever you'd like to share a little bit about your background. Oh, yeah. Um, So I am currently the outpatient medical supervisor for E4 Health. Um, I have over 12 years of coding experience. Um, That includes coding, auditing. I've been a trainer. I've worked in denials, um, following it up on claims in the rev cycle process. Um, I've done a lot of leadership roles. I have several certifications. My mom calls me alphabet soup. Um, I do. I I can't stop getting my certs, but um, just to name a few, I have a CDEO for my certified documentation expert for outpatient. I'm also a HEMA certified coding specialist with my CCS. Um, I also obtained through AAPC a certified outpatient coder for the hospital. It's called a COC now. It used to be the CPCH. Um, Yes. Yes. I'm a certified professional coder. And I also obtained my certified revenue cycle representative certification through HFMA. Nice. Yeah. About 12 years a- and I've <laughs> crammed a whole bunch of credentials in there. Well, that's awesome. And plus it's from a wide group of uh, different organizations. You said AHEMA, HFMA, mm-hmm. and AEPC, uh, all wonderful organizations. I agree. Yeah. And I, I also, uh, I've been coding for over 20, almost 25 years now. I also earned that CPCH and then they changed it on us, right? <laughs> to know, the COC. <laughs> I think that one, that one was my favorite credential to get. I learned so much. Doing yes. That. Yes. I learned that's, so much. That's a really good one. And I remember back in the day when, uh, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about this if, if you, if you feel it's right. Uh, CMS, uh, instituted the outpatient prospective payment system or OPPS. Oh, yeah. OPPS. Right? And, mm-hmm. and that was a new thing, at least when I was working 20 some years ago, uh, that was a new thing for a lot of the hospitals that I worked for. And so we had a major shift to uh, teaching about how coding is going to affect outpatient facility and those sorts of things. And and so I'm excited to talk to you because I know you've got a lot of experience uh, in that in that area as well. Yeah, it's it's fun stuff to me. Yeah, it's shifted to the APC reimbursement for the yep. for PPS change exactly. the game. But it's been there since I've started 12 years ago. Yep. I feel exactly. like I, yeah. Yeah, it's been there a long time. So let, let's just kind of set the stage a little bit and talk about so because you know our audience, we have a lot of compliance professionals. We do have a lot of coders. So some of the coders might know some of this stuff, but those who come from a compliance background. Uh, maybe, and they don't have a 
really deep coding background. Could you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on how coding plays uh, such an important role in the revenue cycle? You know, what role does that play and why is it so important? Um, I absolutely can. I think coding outside of your registration and prior offs, all the things, you know, in the rev cycle that gets you before charge capture and coding and billing, um, proper or improper coding is going to make or break your break your claim. So it kind of stall. If, if you have great coding, it keeps on going through the revenue cycle process, claim submission into into payment with the payers. But if it's correct, um, incorrectly coded, that's definitely going to stall it. You, you're looking at timely denials, um, maybe not getting the proper reimbursement that the facility or the provider deserves because it wasn't coded to this highest level of detail. Um, coding plays such a huge role. Your use of modifiers um, will really help that claim just keep going through that process. Yeah. And I, you know, you mentioned APCs and, um, you know, you can fill in some of the details as well, but in general, OPPS and OPPS is the Medicare methodology. And so, you know, commercial payers might do things a little differently, but um, under generally, they generally follow Medicare, most commercial. Yeah. Yeah. So it can vary a little bit. And you're right. Most payers will follow what Medicare is doing. And, you know, billing that CPT code is really what drives those APCs and then the reimbursement, you know, as opposed to like on inpatient where, a lot of facilities are reimbursed off of DRGs, which is basically based on those diagnosis codes. Right. Um, is that basically how you would describe it? Yep. That's pretty much how I would describe it. Um, yeah. Your your CPTs and HICS-PICS codes are, that's what drives your APC. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, if you miss code, miss if you yeah. don't code something, you're going to miss revenue. I remember um, working for the hospital system. This was back before they changed some of the coding, but there were some add-on codes and since this time, these add-on codes have just been built into the, yeah, yeah. the code description. But years ago, decades ago, we had, you know, facilities coding for like a, a nuke med procedure, but they failed to code for an add-on code for like, uh, you know, some pharmacologic uh, uh, stimulation or something like that. Right. Um, and so they were missing out on those add-on codes because they were missing the CPT code Without the CPT code on the claim, it doesn't map to an APC and you don't get right. reimbursement. And yeah, and that claim becomes a hard stop. And then you have your denials management. They're coming in trying to figure out, hey, what happened to this claim? And may have to go back to coding. You have a, another look at it. So coding it properly the first time based on what you have, your medical record documentation is going to be the driving force to keep that claim going into the rev cycle. And exactly. following those guidelines and knowing because even with the APC, because we can get in such a lengthy conversation, your APC is driven by your primary service, right? Which has a status right. indicator attached to it. But going further, even though it's on an outpatient claim, your primary diagnosis should match that primary procedure as well. Yes. Um, to support that, uh, the weight of the APC, I guess, because the weight of the APC comes from the resources used by the facility, the area that you're in. They take all of that into consideration and the contract with the payers, you know, yes. which your allowable amount is with the payer. Um, all of that goes into that APC. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned ICD coding, diagnosis coding. That's still really important on the outpatient side because 
huge. Like Medicare, there's LCDs, right? There's local right. coverage determinations. And if your Medical diagnosis code need. doesn't support that procedure, you're still going to have problems. Right. You're, you want to look for that level of detail in the entire record um, to support, like you said, medical necessity for those outpatients. You could go to the ER and have labs and infusions and injections and a culture. Maybe you have a UTI. Maybe they, they reported they had a shortness of breath and now they're doing chest x-rays. If you're not picking up all of those, um, you're going to miss payment on those procedures. Yeah. And I'm interested in your experience because in my experience, but again, this was you know 20 years ago. Um, we had different people picking the codes, right? So right. like if it was outpatient surgery, we, we might have had HIM coders who actually looked at the record and chose the code. But if it were in, you know, let's say it was an infusion or something, we have charge masters and sometimes the charge codes will map to a CPT code. And so it might be a nurse or somebody who's picking the charge code. Are you still seeing that? That yeah, you know, a lot of the um, like the I call them a la carte. <laughs> when right. I get the when I get the the claim, it already has um your your labs on it, your radiology codes, you know, your CT scans, your X rays, um, venipunctures, lab draws, all of that. And then I pick up your either that if it's a surgical because I I've done all kinds of outpatient. Um, right. my favorite is same day surgery, but if I'm your surgical coder. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm looking for the surgery, but in the facility for like ED or observation, even though I did not code those labs, they're still on my claim. So I need to go look for medical documentation to support why they did that. Exactly. And those are on the claim from somebody who selected it usually through a charge master, right? Charge master driven. Yep. Those are what we called hard coded. Exactly. And that was my experience is, is you have to educate you know, because you're a trained coder, certified coder is picking that surgical code, but now you have to train people who, you know, coding's not their profession um, when, when right. it's hard coded on the charge master. You still have to educate folks. And help them understand the importance because at any point, you know, the goal is from pre-registration all the way into claim submission and AR management posting, you really want that that claim just to go through smoothly, right? With no errors. But a lot of times that, that doesn't happen. And at some point it gets a hard stop and it takes additional work to figure out, you know, why did this deny? And it could be because, you know, a coder didn't pick up something to support that lab or maybe, yeah. you know, any, any reason. So. Yeah. And, you know, again, I'm kind of going back to the years that I did this, you know, we had uh, uh, like an, internal editor uh, to kind of pick up on some of those things before we drop the claim, right? So that we could make it as clean as possible. As possible, Is that a part of the revenue cycle activities that you've seen as well? We do. Um, there are like edit teams in place because um, a lot of coders, when you get the claim, they're just kind of focused on what they're doing. And so we have like a backup system where we have an edits team in place. So if these hit hit a denial or in the scrubber, the billing software, when you bill it and it hits an edit, it bounces right. back to the edit work queue. You go in and say, okay, what do we, we got, you know, you can have a medically unlikely edit, an NCCI edit. Um, something is preventing that claim from being what they call a clean claim. Um, so that kind of helps, you know, helps us on the forefront when we're billing it out um, to try and catch everything, especially if it needs a modifier or something, um, so that it can go. But at the payer level, it still may, you know, if that diagnosis isn't specified or anything, no, there's not a laterality, can't say that word, laterality modifier on the claim it could, or on the procedure, it could bounce back or deny. Yeah. Good points. So let's talk a little bit. I think you mentioned earlier status indicators. 
T- yes. Tell us a little bit about what are those and what role do they play in all of this? Yeah, status indicators are a pretty big deal. Um, they are how a particular CPT or HCPCS code and APC are paid or not paid. It's a big deal under the outpatient prospective payment system, the OPPS. Right. Um, it's a real. It's really important to have a clear understanding of what status indicators are and what they mean. So basically. A status indicator, it could be a number, it could be alphanumeric. Um, it just kind of, you know, A, what's the primary? Um, is this payment separately reportable? Will additional payment be received? Um, does the multiple reduction rule apply? Meaning if multiple procedures are done, are they going to be paid at 100% or is one 100% and then the, the next one's 50%? Um, right. You have your 59. Everybody knows about your 59 and your X modifiers. So you have those status indicators that are put in place to let you know if a modifier is even allowed. Um, so it's really, really, I think status indicators, that's why I really liked getting my COC um, for the hospital because a light bulb right. in my head. I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense to me. Like yeah. this makes a huge difference. And why, like, I'm glad that I know this because now when I look at my claim, I know, you know, pretty quickly with my status indicators, okay, they should be sequenced first. This is a status indicator of in, not going to pay, not going to pay. Um, and then you, you know, and then it drives your modifiers too. Yeah. And the important thing about status indicators, they can change depending on what procedures were done on the same day of service for that claim. So you may start off with an ENM level and they throw a laceration repair in there and and it may you may need a 25 modifier now where before you didn't. Um, So it really does change the game, especially if the services are done on the same day of service on a claim. That's such a great point. Um, Let's talk some more about this. Right after our break, we're going to take a short break, everybody, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Compliance Conversations. We hope the expert information and discussions are a valuable asset to your compliance career. Healthicity also offers software solutions to help people like you manage their compliance programs. Compliance Manager is a comprehensive, all-in-one, customizable solution that will save you time, stress, and make your compliance program more effective. Head over to healthicity.com for a quick demo video to see how Compliance Manager can bring simplicity to your everyday work. Now back to the show. Welcome back from the break. Uh, We're talking with Stephanie Perry about uh, revenue cycle, coding, uh, predominantly on the outpatient facility side. And we were talking about status indicators before the break. Are there still... um, some status indicators that say that something's bundled. Um, and so the, there may be a CPT code for that service, but there's not separate reimbursement. It's considered included in something else. Is that concept still exist? Yeah, that's your status indicator in. That indicates the services um, for the payment that you're looking for that has a status indicator of in is already packaged into the primary procedure. Right. Um, but it's still real important to to report those codes because you'll still get that status indicator in as long as you're not putting a 59 that's a big no-no but you still report those services so they know like the the intensity of a procedure because cms still needs that information that's why it's given that status indicator of in like all of this goes into the primary procedure but we're still going to report it but it will not get any additional payment so when i see the status indicator of in i think no nothing (laughs) that's how i yeah 
<laughs> That's a good point. But it's as you mentioned, it's still really important to report because the charge, meaning the dollar amounts, will still show up on the claim. Mm -hmm. As you said, CMS is still looking at that data, right? And um, it, it's important for them as they set payment rates for AAP or for APCs and those sorts of things, as I understand. Absolutely, that. yeah. Yeah. The other thing you were talking about. Um, before the break where we're talking about coding like for surgeries and it's a interest in what your thoughts are it's probably unique that like the the surgical code that you pick is very similar to what the surgeon's going to pick right probably exactly the same or should be but as a facility coder you're probably also looking for on the claim supplies right like the doctor's not going to build those supplies because the hospital is the one incurring the expense for those supplies so these these HICPIC codes and uh, those sorts of things. Is that a part of what you're seeing and what you're doing as well? Um, they're already present on the claim because those are charge master driven as well. But okay. what I do is I make sure like if it's a device dependent procedure, like you see with like your knee, um, your total knee arthroplasties or shoulders, if it if it involves any kind of device, um, I make sure my devices, my HixPix code is there. So I make sure that every element of it is there. And if I don't see it, then I won't I won't complete my coding. I'll send it on to say, hey, you know, this is a device dependent procedure. We're missing, you know, blah, blah, blah device. And and, you know, and it'll come back to me, okay, device has been added, you can complete coding. Um, that's just one example. But there's many where if I don't see that it's fully ready, and I just know that, okay, this isn't a complete picture of what I'm seeing, because that's what your claim essentially is, it paints a picture for the insurance company. And it, it needs to tell a story. And if that story does start starts to not make sense, that's when we need to pause and say, okay, what about this claim isn't going to, you know, go easily through the revenue cycle. And you can usually track it back to probably charging <laughs> a lot of time, the charging department. Yeah. And I think that comes back to like the people who, you know, the charging or picking the charge code might be kind of an added duty to their job, right? They might be a Absolutely. nurse, they might be, you know, so they may be clinically trained or something. And so it, it's like making sure that they understand their role in the revenue cycle. Um, yeah. So like with devices, like, so if you have a CPT code for, you know, replacing a pacemaker pulse generator mm -hmm. or replacing leads or replacing the whole uh, AICD, there should be on the claim that device because you can't do that procedure without some sort of mechanical device. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting. Like what you said, it's a it's a device dependent procedure. Yep. And they'll use and they'll use that terminology too, just for like your your cement for your arthroplasties or um, yes. things like that that don't in your mind you're not thinking device, you but you're thinking it's materials too. Yeah. Um, supplies yeah. maybe. Yeah, and someone has to buy that and it's the hospital and they need to get paid, or at least you need to be identifying what you're using for, for you know for claims data and that sort of stuff. So Absolutely. um so We've talked about, you know, how denials can happen. Are there things that coders can do to help prevent denials that you've seen? Oh, absolutely. I think the most important thing a coder can do is stay up to date on their coding guidelines. And as we all know, they change um, every October 1. The new, the new guidelines are, you know, published. I think staying on top of that, um, really getting to know what modifiers are and how they can be used especially the 59 modifier. You don't want to just go 
all willy nilly with your 59 modifier exactly. and now X modifiers, right? I, I like the X modifiers, but the 59 modifier, yeah, it'll pass, it'll clear the edit, um, but does it make it, it doesn't make it proper to use. Um, yeah. So really understanding when you tell these insurance companies that this is a separately reportable, reportable service, it's identified as a separate procedure, like you mean that, and in the documentation, it can be backed up. Um, and there's a lot of rules that go behind using that modifier. Um, same with your 25 modifiers for your, you know, your your EM levels. You have to really have the documentation to support it. Even though an edit will be cleared with a modifier, doesn't mean you should use it. So understanding modifiers, um, following coding guidelines, coding clinics um, that are out there. Oh, they're amazing. I don't I don't I don't know what I would do without coding clinics. Yes. There's so many questions that people before you have, and you just really get stuck. And and believe it or not, there's a lot of answers for a lot of common coding questions. And they even give examples too in the coding clinics. Um that's great. Status indicators. I know that's maybe new for some people, but like I said, it a uh, light bulb went off in my head. I was like, oh, this this makes sense to me. Yeah. So. absolutely. And so you were talking when you were talking about modifiers, you were talking about edits. And I, the main edits are the NCCI edits. Can you explain a little bit about those? What yeah. role they play in coding and revenue cycle? Um, so there's the National Correct NCCI edits, National Corrective Coding Initiative edits. And basically right. those are column one and column two edits, meaning that column two is somehow in a way, the system is thinking it's unbundling from that primary procedure. Um, again, it's not the status indicator in because you really wouldn't get that because the payment would be included. But this is saying, for example, a screening colonoscopy or uh, let's just say a screening colonoscopy turns into a, a therapeutic or diagnostic. They do a biopsy right. or they move a polyp. You cannot bill the diagnostic arth uh, colonoscopy with your biopsy. Right. They're going to they're going to hit it. What's called an NCCI edit. And depending on the. The edit, it's going to either allow or not allow a 59 modifier to pass it. Obviously, in this situation, it's inherent, right? A diagnostic colonoscopy right. would be inherent to your biopsy. So you would not put a 59 modifier on that. You're going to take off that. You're going to code the, the highest level, which is your biopsy in that situation. Right. Yeah. Uh, and oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just saying, and you have your also medically unlikely edits too, as part of your, the NCCIs. So you have your, so you have NCCI and then it kind of branches off into CCIs in medically unlikely edits. And the medically unlikely are, those are more like units, right? Like right. not expected you would do more than one of these a day or six of these a right. day or something, right? Yeah. And then you have, and then with that, you have to justify, okay, if it, if you're billing in excess of units of the maximum number of units allowed, right, then you go into a an adjudication indicator, right? So it's a, I think it's a one, two or three. And that depends on like absolute data service. If it's a claim line edit data, it's it's really tricky when you get into that stuff. Um, but it basically says, you know, can can these units be billed? Um, if they can, do you want them all on one line or do we need to put them on separate lines with the 59 modifier on the second line or 91 um, for your labs? And then you have um, somewhere they're not going to probably pay at all. And I think that's a MAI of a three. So you're going to have to submit medical records with that. Gotcha. So if it's like a person, a person comes in and has an EGD 
and they build two units. Eh, it's probably not good. You probably yeah. have a, uh, that's highly unlikely for someone to have two EGDs in one day. Right. And if you like, did, I, we need to know the circumstances behind that. Exactly. Like theoretically it's possible, right? Like right. maybe they had one scheduled for the morning, then they went home and then all of a sudden they're starting to cough up blood and they go to the emergency room and they have an EGD done. And so it's like two EGDs on the same day, but that's pretty rare and unlikely. Right. Exactly. So you have yeah, to it, and, and, and say, why was it necessary for us to go beyond the allowable amount? And then if, you know, and follow your adjudicator accordingly, because some you can, you can bill them out on separate lines and put your modifier on the second line. Some, they just want all of the units or the charge amount rolled into one line and update the units. Um, so there's different ways to handle that. Yeah. And and with, with modifier 59 and the NCCI edits, I remember working with department leaders and they would, you know, I try to teach them about these column one, column two, two, and then the indicator. And sometimes there's an indicator of zero, meaning mm -hmm. no modifier will bypass the edit. Nothing. And sometimes it says one and they're like, oh, it says one. We could use it. I said, you can only use it when it's appropriate to use. It doesn't yep. mean you could always just use it. Like you were saying, you just don't want to be slapping on the 59 or those X modifiers, you know, just so you can bypass an edit and get reimbursed. Right. That's you're, you're opening up a world of rack audits and all kind of stuff <laughs> you just start putting that 59 on there exactly but then again on the other side there may be times when it's appropriate like oh, definitely if you have a lesion on your right arm and the skin then you're biopsying that one but you're excising the lesion on the back so they're Absolutely. two separate lesions in those cases the excision and the biopsy it's appropriate but you need a modifier to say these were separate lesions Correct. Absolutely. Yep. There's definitely situations where 59 is warranted and, and useful. Yeah. It just takes uh, training people and making sure they understand and then doing audits, right? Like it, mm -hmm. it's always, you you can train people, but then it's probably always a good idea just every now and then. And I, I tell a lot of people this, just randomly check every now and then, you know, 10 times or claims where 59 modifier was used or 25 modifier. And then just look at the medical records and make sure that it's really substantiated. Make sure that, yeah, you know, it's because I also come from a compliance background. And as you mentioned, rack audits and others, you know, this is how these multi-million dollar settlements come about. Mm -hmm. when people just, just use the modifier and they think, oh, it says it's a one in that column. That means I can use the modifier. No. That means you can use it when clinically appropriate. Yeah, you still have to have documentation to support it, you know, all of that. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, uh, Stephanie, we could talk all day. We are getting kind of towards the end here. We have a couple more minutes. Um, any other thoughts or or um, ideas on, on revenue cycle, uh, coding, or just outpatient uh facility kind of revenue cycle in general, anything that we didn't talk about that you think would be good for our listeners? Um, revenue codes, maybe I was thinking about that earlier. We're talking about charge master driven yeah. codes. Um, just a little bit about revenue codes. The revenue codes are linked to the department where they receive the services. So when yeah. you see a claim and you have revenue 250, revenue code 250 and 450 and 361, 750, when that claim, those are all linked to a department within that hospital, right? So 450 yeah. is your ER, your your 360 and your 361s, those are your either your major OR, or your minor OR. When that claim pays 
at the payer level, whatever the allowable amount is for that, there is reimbursement or not. When that check gets in, it goes back to those departments. Yeah. And a lot of times um, it, it's helpful for me if I when I open up a claim, especially an emergency room claim, I know I'm supposed to co-diagnose this in, in my infusions and injections, but I'll go look. <laughs> I go look at that charge master because I want to get a full picture. So I think it's really helpful for coders that want to dig in a little bit more, familiar, familiarize yourself with those revenue codes because it'll 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 start making more sense. Okay, pharmacy drugs are your 250s, self-administered drugs are your 636. You have right. um, your radiology and your labs. So Revenue codes also play an important role, I think. Yeah. And while we're just, maybe we end with this. Um, so revenue codes are on a different kind of claim that gets submitted versus mm-hmm. a, a physician claim is, you know, a 1500. Right. These are the 1450s, right? Or the old UBs. Is that UB, still the yeah, case? Yeah, the UB04. Yep. Yeah. So it's a different looking claim. You could actually just Google it, I think, and you can get images where you can see it. And what Stephanie just said is, you know, there's a place for the HICPICS code, there's a place for the units, there's a place for modifiers, and then there's a place that says revenue code. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has to deal like with just what she was saying about, you know, where's that revenue gonna be allocated more or less. Right, yep. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing mm-hmm. all your knowledge. Um, this has been wonderful. We really appreciate your experience and uh, the tips and the explanations that you shared. No, thank you for having me. I've had a blast. This is really fun. This is, I love this kind of stuff. I'm glad I was able to to be on your podcast. It was pretty cool. Well, yeah, I'm so grateful that you were able to be on as well. Thank you so much. And thank you to all our listeners um, for listening to our episodes. If you like these, please, you know, hit like and share and do all those good things uh, uh, to kind of spread the word, if you will. If you have colleagues that you think this topic would be good for, send it their way. Uh, and if you have ideas for topics um, for future episodes, we love to hear those. So don't be shy. Uh, let us know. And if you if you know of people who may, might make good guests, we always are uh, interested in entertaining that as well. So uh, again, thank you again for listening to this episode of Compliance Conversations. Uh, until next time, have a great day. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.